Hi, and welcome to Friends of Brother Adam. My name is Dennis, and I'll be your host for this evening. We are going to be talking about A7, Handling Hazardous Farm Materials Safety. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about chemicals. Um, and, uh, of course, this is from the Beekeeper Production Technician course. Um, it's uh, something that uh, up here in Canada, the young kids go through and they... Uh, mark off competencies um, is something that if you listen to you'll be able to make sure to touch all the bases and then uh, I encourage you to get out there and get with your local beekeeping clubs uh, get some of that technical expertise get yourself uh, uh, somebody who will help you um, and uh, walk you through some of the uh, questions that you have. If you have any questions about today's material or any material concerning beekeeping, I'd love to hear it. A lot of times I will do a podcast just on the questions that are, are uh, sent to me. You can send it to uh, fatbeehoneyranch at gmail.com and uh, I'll, uh, I read all of them and I, I respond to most of them. Uh, in the form of a, a new podcast. So uh, helps me with uh, my choice of materials that I'm going to be talking about. And it also helps you guys, you know, get those silly questions or the very important questions handled. Um, so in today, when we're talking about this, uh, I need you to know that my particular bias is that I'm I lean more towards my granola friends in this. I don't like putting um, chemicals in my hives. However, I will if I need to, if I find that one of my hives is uh, having a lot of difficulties. I usually go from the least hazardous to the most hazardous. Um, so I start off with things like uh, rhubarb leaves on the top of the hives to make sure that the uh, the bees eat it and it uh, stops helps with uh, stopping mites. Um, we also uh, do a lot of uh, um, stuff that helps the bees by uh, uh, just giving them the alimentation that they need. And once we do that, then uh, a lot of times the problems are cured. Uh, if they are not, though, I will progress to um, more of the chemical methods. But uh, as a beekeeper, you need to be competent and capable of, of handling uh, hazardous materials and uh, being able to dose your bees accordingly. In some areas, you're not allowed to. You actually have to hire a vet to come in and do that. So it kind of behooves you to do it naturally first. And then if you can't handle it, then you get your veterinarian involved. Um, anytime you involve anybody else or anytime you uh, throw chemicals into your hive, that's big money. Um, those chemical companies love you to come to them first so please don't it's just the silliest thing um all right so uh before we jump into this let me talk to you about how you can get a hold of me uh, again i told you about uh um, going to fatbeehoneyranch at gmail.com you can also visit us on odyssey o-d-y-s-e-e.com um, where you can give us a library coin tip 
or you can support us also by the QR code on the splash screen of this podcast. It is for Bitcoin. If you uh, um, can send a little something something from your wallet of Bitcoin, I'd really appreciate it. And if not, you can send me uh, email money transfer um, for whatever donation that you want. Donations are super appreciated. I'm saving up for a PC for video editing, and I'm hoping that I'll be able to um, utilize the the donations that I get in order to get that PC and to be able to bring you guys uh, this summer, hopefully, uh, some videos and things. Because, you know, talking about it is all good and fine, but sometimes seeing it, and uh, seeing some of the the surrounding uh, information around it that you see is very important. Sometimes we don't talk about it enough, so <laughs> we uh, being able to see something a lot of times helps you understand things a whole lot better. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. So we're going to start by describing the categories of crop care chemicals used on the farm and their uses, and give examples of each. Uh, this is reaching deep into my <laughs> um, almost but kind of sort of not knowledge. Um, again, like I told you earlier, I don't like using these things, so here we go. All right, so insecticides. We put selective insecticides into our hives um, when we put in mite strips. Uh, when we treat for trachea mites, when we treat for um, um, wax moths, we, we put uh, selective insecticides in our hives. So your question is, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Um, this is a last ditch effort as far as I'm concerned when we start putting chemicals in our hives because although they say it's a selective poison, that selects out the insects that we don't want but doesn't harm the bees. Um, sorry to say, but it does harm the bees. And hopefully you can do it once per year or twice per year and uh, the bees can recover and get it out of their system. What happens is the bees walk across it, it gets into their system. Uh, the mites that eat the fat bodies off of the bees um, start ingesting some of that mite poison, that miticide. They pull out of that food source and drop off to the bottom of the hive. Um, and uh, if you are, have the ability to, having a hive with a screen bottom that you're treating mites is a good thing. Putting some uh, sticky stuff like uh, uh, vegetable oil on the on the board at the bottom helps catch the mites. Uh, a lot of times the miticide doesn't kill the mites, but it, it incapacitates them a little bit so that they fall off the bee and uh, fall down to the bottom of the hive. You'll want to take them out, uh, take the bottom board out and check it every once in a while just to see how well your, your uh, miticide is working. Um, um, there are lots of other ways that we can uh, help to get rid of mites and that's something that we can discuss at a later time however the insecticides are, are one of one option that you can take and I, I would suggest maybe the last option so that you don't have to worry so much about it uh, infecting your bees fungicides um, these are things that get rid of funguses 
Um, they're used on plants. They do affect our bees. Um, I don't have, off the top of my head, I don't have uh, uh, an example of fungicides. Um, however, um, farmers do spray it on their plants quite a lot. Um, as far as I know, we don't put any fungicides into our hives. Um, herbicides, uh, things like Roundup, uh, it's, uh, it's something that farmers spray on their crops to select for a certain type of crop. Um, a lot of times these are genetically modified crops that don't react to um, the herbicide that they're spraying on. However, broadleaf things tend to uh, not do good under them and die off and it allows for the um, wanted uh, herb to grow up big and tall and get all the sun. So that's what they do with that. Um, also rodent sides. So your your mouse poison and your rat poison and that we do put underneath the hives a lot of times uh, when we wrap them up for the winter a lot of times we'll sprinkle them on the top of the hives the mice love to go up underneath the covers and uh, they'll start chewing on the wood and enter the hive and then a whole lot of crap happens so we want to get the rodent sides so that they um, eat it and it poisons them Unfortunately, a lot of times with the rodent sides, the poison that we put up there, um, they have to eat it twice before they uh, succumb to the poison. Um, there are some poisons that you can get out there that they just have to eat it once. Um, you do have to be careful with them because if you touch them, uh, you can get uh, poisoned as well. So whenever you're touching them, please utilize gloves. Um, please utilize a respirator uh, or some sort of uh, a mask to keep any uh, powder from the poisons from getting in your nose. Um, a lot of the powder uh, has warfarin in it and uh, warfarin is a medicine that we use on humans uh, to thin the blood and stop clotting. So if you happen to get that on you, um, it will have the same effect as if you were taking that heart medicine <laughs> to, to thin the blood and keep you from clotting. Um, yeah, so just be careful with rodent sides as well. Um, name dangerous gases commonly encountered on farms and describe common sources of these gases where they may be encountered and hazards associated with each. Ammonia. So uh, ammonia comes naturally in manure and it also comes in a concentrated form as a fertilizer. Um, the farmer that you're going to be uh, renting a little piece of his land for your hives will drive around a tractor and be spraying either ammonia or dropping out little tiny uh, white little uh, particles that is the ammonia. Um, and uh, they use that as fertilizer um, and uh, ammonia if it gets too close to your hives it can uh, have some damage on your hive on your bees 
but generally not. Um, I've seen a beehive in a pig barn that was just so stinky with ammonia that uh, we actually had to get a big fan and, and blow out the ammonia and the bees were doing fairly well in the walls of that uh, pig barn but um, yeah I don't know if they had enough uh, outside recirculation of the air or what but <laughs> that was a pretty big hive. Um, Carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide, uh, they, that is a gas that uh, usually comes from exhausts. Um, and uh, of course it is, you know, one of those is the one that uh, um, plants breathe and they breathe out oxygen for us. Um, however, if you're in an enclosed area and you have carbon dioxide or carbon monoxide, you can suffocate to death. So be careful when you're entering smaller areas. Um, if you're rescuing bees, that's something that you do have to be careful about. Um, a lot of times these enclosed areas don't have good ventilation. So it is a really good idea to um, invent your own circulation. Uh, so that means getting some sort of a carpet dryer, hooking a hose onto it, having the carpet dryer blow lots and lots of air into the area that you're crawling into to remove the bees. Um, so yeah, you do have to worry about carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide. Methane. Methane comes from manure and it's also a natural gas fuel. Um, a lot of times they have uh, natural gas fuel um, on the farms in big huge they call them pigs they're uh, kind of like a pill shaped big huge um, uh, tank um, and you do have to be careful about them uh, methane from manure you know if you inhale too much of it it can cause you to uh, die as well so be careful with it um, hydrogen sulfide uh, H2S is what it's called uh, from manure. Um, hydrogen sulfide and a lot of these other things are heavier than air and tend to go to lower areas. Um, out on the oil field, when I was a medic out on the oil field, uh, we have we had a lot of training on H2S and we were uh, warned that if somebody goes down, you don't go in to to help them unless you have a breathing pack because if you go in to help them uh, just a little bit of that H2S in your nose and you're done for as well so um, that's that's an important one to be aware of um, it is a good idea to get uh, online and get a free H2S class learn about it learn how to rescue people from it um, yeah it's it's an important thing uh, welding fumes, of course, comes from the action of welding. Um, they are poisonous. Um, also, you're going to have to be worried about uh, welding flash blindness. So if somebody's welding around you, it's best to just get out of the area or wear uh, the appropriate uh, welding shield type glasses. Um, but honestly, you as a beekeeper, if somebody's doing some hot work, some welding around you, you just need to vacate the area. I mean, you don't need to be there. <laughs> and propane, again, 
in uh, in the propane pigs. Um, also, we use uh, propane on um, some of our um, some of our um, um, oh. It is late tonight, guys. <laughs> My brain's not working. Uh, um, sometimes we use a small amount of propane on some of the uh, dispersion devices for some of the gas that we use, the uh, vaporic acid and, and stuff like that that we use inside the, the hives. Um, other times we'll use electricity to burn off some of that and cause the mist, um, but sometimes we do use propane. So uh, propane is also used to heat barns and to uh, heat some of the areas that will be around. Uh, just know that. Also, if you are in a colder area like I am, you might see um, the use of uh, propane in our bee houses in the hot rooms. Um, a lot of times um, when you harvest your honey you bring it into a room that you can warm up and that warm temperature will help uh, dehumidify some of the uh, the honey and and uh, if you have a lot of open uh, honey frames uh, you can uh, heat up the area and cause the honey to lose some of its water and uh, it also uh, liquefies the honey so that it's ready to be extracted so that when you take it into your um, extraction room um, literally you just you can uh, quite easily cut off the capping or you can uh, bruise the capping with the roller and throw it into your centrifuge spinner and spin it out and uh, by heating it up you are causing it to be very liquid and, and easier to handle uh, so a lot of times they use propane in that so um, if you're utilizing propane in your in your hot room just have a um, have a little safety meeting before you start it up <laughs> if you're working with a bunch of people and uh, if you're not go over the directions Make sure that you have uh, ventilation in the room because although you're heating it up with propane, um, you're utilizing a lot of the oxygen in the room to burn propane. So it's always good to have a door slightly ajar so that you get good uh, ventilation. And uh, before you go and bring the honey into the um, separating room where your centrifuge is, um, open up the door, let it sit for a few minutes, and then you can go in and take care of business. You don't want to go into a room that has a lot of carbon monoxide or carbon dioxide in it. So, all right. Excuse me there. Um, we're going to... So, a lot of these gases have hints that they are there and then some of the gases literally by time you smell them you're dead <laughs> so um, I was talking a little bit earlier about H2S hydrogen sulfide um, you get a few whiffs of that in your nose and you're done you you go unconscious and of course you fall down and and hydrogen sulfide is uh, heavier than air so when you fall down you fall usually right into the puddle of it 
and uh, you breathe it in and that's enough to kill you. So um, that one uh, does, they, they say it does have a little bit of a smell, but honestly, by the time you smell it, you're done for, so. <laughs> um, ammonia has a very sharp smell to it. As far as I know, it doesn't have any color. Carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide doesn't really have a smell to it. Heavier than air. Um, welding fumes kind of have a sharp smell to it. Um, propane is treated with a special uh, smell so that if you smell the propane, you can um, you can get out of the area. Um, and, and uh, as always, if you smell propane that's unburned, you're going to be uh, uh, shutting off all electrical devices and, and walking away, airing it out, because any ignition source will set it off. Um, there's a lot to, to talk about as far as um, um, upper explosive limits and lower explosive limits on some of these things. Um, if you have way too much uh, fuel in the air um, and it doesn't have very much oxygen in it, um, you won't set it off usually. Um, but as soon as you introduce some oxygen into it, a lot of times you get down to the explosive limit and it will explode. Or if you just get a little tiny bit, uh, lower explosive limit, um, a lot of times it's got too much oxygen, not enough fuel, and it won't blow up. Um, when I was serving in Iraq, one of the things that I did was um, I was uh, a refueler. And uh, we had a gentleman who thought he was being real smart and didn't have a, a, a special flashlight that doesn't cause any sparks or anything. So he decided it might be a good idea to flick his lighter and check the level of the gas in the tanker. What an ass. <laughs> but because um, we were in the desert and it was 100 and... 39 degrees uh, that day um, we were definitely at the above the upper level and he didn't blow himself up but oh my gosh um, I definitely made sure the sergeant knew about it and he had his ass handed to him by the sergeant so <laughs> but uh, yeah that's the upper upper explosive limit after you get above that then it just doesn't blow up um, yeah, so um, I also, as a medic, uh, on the oil field side, um, there was a, a guy who was cleaning out a, a vessel, um, a big huge tank that they carry uh, um, stuff out of the oil field, and it was flammable material that was in there before. Uh, he decided that he was going to lower an incandescent bulb down into the vessel to see if it was good and clean. Um, his friend told him not to, but he said, oh, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And he lowered it down into it. His friend turned and started running for the door, but he didn't make it to the door. Uh, his friend had inhalation burns up his nose and down the back of his throat. Um, 
And that was my first, uh, my first echo call. Um, I was uh, the um, EMT in charge of, of the service at the time. Um, and so I was called up, got the echo call. They told me um, possible multiple deaths. Um, and uh, it, was, it was a pretty bad one. Um, so I rolled two other ambulances because they said that there were uh, four um, injured persons or, or dead people. We're not sure which. Um, I also rolled another fire department because the fire department that was dealing with it, they didn't have any uh, extrication stuff and they had said that part of the building was collapsed and uh, might need rescue of people. So we sent all that equipment and people going. We got there first. Um, there was uh, some little EMRs on scene they had gotten there from the local fire department so I guess they were actually first but uh, the EMRs figured that they were um, EMR paramedics <laughs> and uh, so they were telling me what I needed to do and I let them know that I was um, a person with the highest medical stuff on scene like and knowledge on scene and I would be taking over from them. They told me that they had told uh, the one guy that they've been dealing with, the guy who had inhalation burns, um, that his friend was still alive and they told me I darn well better not spoil it on him. And uh, so I took over and uh, had my partner start an IV on the one gentleman that with the inhalation burns <laughs> a lot of things happened with that but uh, <laughs> um, I just left her with him and I went to go survey the scene as what I was supposed to do uh, the firefighters stopped me at the door of the collapsed uh, Quonset and told me I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to go in there um, first of all, it was collapsing and dangerous. And second of all, the guy who lowered the incandescent bulb into the vessel was Hamburger. And uh, he had hit the ceiling, hit the wall, and then hit the ground. And the explosion had just ripped up his body and literally Hamburger. And uh, I said, obvious signs of death. And they said, oh, yeah yeah he's not pulling through on this one and I said okay so I went back and and dealt with the inhalation burn guy and I asked him where all of his other friends were and he said that they took off so left scene so I was having some difficulty um, and uh, the other ambulance showed up and I said to the other ambulance um, to stay there and uh, support the uh, firefighters as they put out what was left of the fire. And uh, we took the inhalation burn guy and, and started heading for the biggest hospital. Um, on the way, we met up with the uh, paramedic. He jumped in the back of the ambulance and assessed the situation. And um, as an EMT, I could have intubated, but I didn't have the ability to put him under 
so I wasn't uh, wasn't going to do anything like that but as soon as the paramedic got on he could have intubated him and put him under um, but uh, he decided that as long as the his throat wasn't swelling up to the point where he wasn't able to breathe that we wouldn't attempt that because it was really damaged down his airway um, so we just treated with diesel and got him to the hospital but literally friends uh, you don't want to deal with uh, closed vessels and, and propane closed vessels and explosive uh, gases um, and if you have any worries that you might be encountering gas just leave the area call 911 and uh, get some people there that can help do not start up any electrical equipment do not use a lighter like <laughs> the private did over in Iraq uh, not a bad not a good thing um, um, and uh, you know you have to be aware of your ignition sources that you have as a beekeeper so we're talking about smokers we're talking about electrical equipment uh, static electricity so you just have to be aware of those things before um, and if you ever encounter something be acutely aware and shut things down <clears throat> all right so um, describe how molds may be encountered in wintering buildings and in cleaning up dead outs in the spring okay well uh the dead outs that we've talked about that one before um dead outs if you get to them early in the spring um and when you're doing your your board cleaning it's best to just jump right in and uh, scrape out those dead bees off of the off of the frames and then send the frames to be reconditioned so that they can go back into the hive you want to scrape out all the moldy portion and uh, the bees will clean up the rest however as you're doing that of course you want to be able to protect your your airway so you'll be wearing some sort of a filter mask or something um, it's a good idea to have a good uh, well-fitting N95 mask um, and and maybe even a little bit better of a mask one with the huge big filters on the sides so that you don't get any of that crap in your lungs because you just don't need that that's a bad deal um, now buildings wintering buildings uh, up here in Canada uh, we we sometimes use wintering buildings and what that is is you're putting uh, quite a few hives into a building you have to have um, good ventilation and you have to have the ability to um, um, monitor carbon um, dioxide carbon monoxide um, so yeah um, a lot of times you'll put a lot of bees in the building and there's just not enough ventilation in there enough to keep them alive but those bees put off a lot of humidity and so they can fill up a, a building with humidity and of course humidity and wood you usually end up with mold so that's that's what you're uh, what you're dealing with so if you are encountering mold in wintering buildings or the smell of mold in wintering buildings 
you're going to end up having to spray it down with uh, um, with a bleach spray or um, a fungicide. <laughs> That's where you're going to encounter the fungicides. Um, and you need to use uh, special equipment for that, special breathing equipment for that. And uh, you might end up using a full pressured air uh, respirator. Um, you're definitely going to be in those white coveralls um, with gloves and boots and the whole dealio because that stuff is stuff that'll make you sick. So, um, yeah. Um, you want to try and keep your wintering buildings as ventilated as possible because you don't want to go through all of that mess and uh, dangerous chemicals and stuff like that. Um, discuss the risk of short-term or long-term illness and possible long-term breathing problems associated with molds. Uh, yeah. Um, so over time, um, all agricultural workers have to worry about long-term exposure to uh, dust, to mold, to um, fine particulate matter. Uh, be aware of your air um, and you know if you blow your nose and out comes a bunch of black goop on your boogers um, you should have been wearing a mask. Do not go back into that kind of a situation without a mask. Keep that in your brain for the future. Uh, what that means is your your nose and your your uh, mucous membranes have caught a lot of the stuff that went through, but not all of it. And so you got a pretty good dose of it. Um, you should notice that you're coughing a lot, trying to clear it out of your lungs, um, and you're snotting a lot, trying to clear it out. So if you're seeing those warning signs, start learning from that and start using masks in those kind of areas. Um, and depending on the, uh, the type of uh, particulate, um, you'll need a different kind of mask for different kinds of particulate. Um, my dad, he worked uh, in woodworking for the majority of his uh, work life. Um, and he ended up getting a whole lot of sawdust in his lungs. And it's not good. It's just, you know, it was it was something that they didn't do back in the day of putting on respirator masks or or filter masks or even N95 masks. They just kind of held their breath while they were using the, the table saw or, or whatever saw, the lathe or whatever. And... Uh, um, I'd have I have to tell you that that as I'm doing some of these pine boxes that I'm putting the bees into, I love the smell of of the dust. But if I can smell that dust, that means the particulate matter is going into my lungs. So, as you guys are are you know building your beehives, as you guys are out in the field working in the dust, and as you're crawling around inside of some of these places trying to take bees out of uh, buildings, or if you are um, working in uh, wintering buildings and you start smelling mold, it's time to get some breathing protection on there. Don't think you're going to be like some of these farmers that, you know, nothing ever touches them. 
a lot of times these guys die of uh, lung cancer and, and all sorts of COPD and it's, it's terrible. I've watched a lot of people, a lot of people, um, on the slow, the slow death of COPD and, and, and lung disease and it's horrible. People drowning in their own lungs, it's just not worth it. So I'd encourage you. <laughs> I'd encourage you to make sure that you guys put on masks and protect your airway. It says here to demonstrate safe handling procedures for situations where molds may be encountered. We were talking about that earlier. Wear a mask, work outdoors and upwind. Avoid working in confined spaces. And if you're working in confined spaces, make sure that you have a whole lot of air being pumped into there so that you're not... Um, dealing with uh, uh, some of those gases that we were talking about. Um, if you're working in confined spaces, it might be a good idea to go get uh, some training on working in confined spaces. They will let you know what you need to look out for. They will help you understand some of the breathing apparatuses that you might have to use. Um, up here in Canada, if you're working in these closed confined spaces, a lot of times you actually have to take out a permit with the government and if you end up uh, having an accident and you didn't take out a permit then you're in a lot of trouble <laughs> so um, just just be aware of it it'd be a good idea if, if you're going to be working in a confined space to get some education on that um, it would be a good idea if you're going to be working around uh, manure to get some h2s training and uh, and just understand some of the, the difficulties that you might be encountering. Now, we have to talk about uh, BVACs. Um, BVACs are great things. They're a low pressured vacuum that sucks up the bees carefully <laughs> and uh, hopefully they don't tumble and bang themselves too much and wreck their wings. Um, but it is a low pressure vacuum device but when you're in this these kind of areas you are sucking out um, possible toxins to you um, and so you have to be aware of that so um, it's a great idea however you do your um, low pressure vacuum whether you have a um, a wet vac, wet dry vac, beside with a hose going into a box that is your catchment container for the bees, or whether you have, um, like what I have with mine is uh, kind of like a dust vac, one of those small little, oh, what are they called? Yeah, dust buster type vacs um, stuck in the top. They always have a vent where it sucks the air from the container out the vent and out the sides. You have to be aware of the um, type of filtration that that vacuum cleaner has. If it's not enough for uh, to keep out the, the dust and the, the bad stuff that goes into the air, it would be a good idea to change out your vacuum, whatever it is, with something with HEPA filters or or some other filtering mechanism or 
if you can't do that, then for heaven's sakes, put on a mask so you're filtering the air that you're breathing. If you can't filter it coming out of the vacuum cleaner, you need to make sure that you understand that there can be bad things coming out of that vacuum cleaner vent. Don't be sitting there breathing that stuff right in. Not a good idea. All right. Um, also, when you're using the uh, misters or diffusers, um, as you're putting in things like valproic acid or uh, the miticide um, or whatever you're putting in there, be aware that that stuff to you is toxic as well. So you're going to have to be wearing um, um, filtration devices on a mask so that you aren't breathing in that awful nasty toxins, selective um, pesticides. Um, so um, make sure that you are wearing your PPE for that. Don't be the little brave beekeeper guy who, oh, I never have to worry about that because you watch, you'll be, uh, you'll be uh, um, misting some of these hives and you'll have to do something and have to open up the top of the hive and you open up the top of the hive, up and out comes this huge big um, vent of gas that you weren't counting on and there you go, you've just poisoned yourself, way to go. <laughs> so um, there's no heroes in this, you got to wear your PPE. If you don't wear your PPE, you're, you're taking your life in your hands and, and we want to be old beekeepers, we don't want to die young, right? <laughs> so uh, that's that's the talk for today handling hazardous farm materials safely um, uh, not the best <laughs> I'm not the best at explaining a lot of these things so I would appreciate it if you guys checked into some local um, education classes about this make sure that you're up on your your uh, closed confined spaces, uh, education, make sure you're up on your H2S uh, education, um, and any insects or fungicides, herbicides, or rodenticides that you're going to be using, or any uh, propane, um, or anything like that, make sure you are reading the directions, make sure you're following what it says, and for heaven's sakes, be safe out there. Anyways, thank you for listening. If you have any questions, please email me at fatbeehoneyranch at gmail.com. And if you have uh, any suggestions for materials that need to be covered, please email me as well. Really appreciate you guys listening. Um, I'm hitting, I believe, 4.7 thousand listens to the podcast at... Um, ugh, just because I want to remember it, I can't remember it. Um, at the Anchor app, uh, anchor.fm by Spotify, I have 4.7 thousand listens. I really appreciate you guys listening. It, it uh, certainly helps the male ego. <laughs> I, I sometimes hold up my uh, cell phone with uh, the stats on it to some of my friends and let's say, hey, look, I'm famous. <laughs> I don't feel famous. 
Anyways, guys, I really appreciate it, but thanks for listening. Make sure that you uh, subscribe to the podcast that you're listening to. Um, Please give me a five stars. It helps to bring other beekeepers to listen to these podcasts. If we can get uh, a lot of people listening, um, maybe we can uh, get a lot of uh, questions out of the way. Um, and, and maybe we can uh, share some of that, uh, some of that com- camaraderie that we have amongst beekeepers. Anyways, thank you guys. Have a great day.